and welcome to the Sacred City Life Podcast. This is your host, Pastor Justin Dean. And today I am joined on the podcast with my pastoral resident, Alex Tate and Kevin Noor. And so say hi, guys. What's going on, guys? We and this today we're gonna jump right in. We're we're coming at you with a theology for everyone podcast, working our way through the Westminster Confession of Faith. Um, I hope you guys are finding this beneficial. I know I've been hearing from some of you that you've been really enjoying it, and we're trying to put out as many of these as possible to help you better understand the Word of God. <clears throat> and so we encourage you, go buy yourself a Westminster Confession of Faith. Follow along with us as you're, um, you can use this as a Bible study. You can use this as a personal devotion. You can use this as a time alone with the Lord. Read the Westminster, check out all the scripture, scripture references so that you can follow along and learn to be a good gospel-centered theologian. That's our goal. And so we are going to jump right back in to chapter 5 of Providence. So once again, we're talking about the providence of God. And I've just been so personally benefited from this section. I've been blessed by it. I have been intrigued by it. I've been convicted that, you know what, I don't think I've talked enough about the providence of God. I don't think I've relished in it and worshipped God because of his providence. So I went and I got um, one of my systematic theologies over here with Herman, Herman Bavink. And I just read my, I just read that whole section on providence and he goes in a lot more detail and a lot. Um, just awesome. I just mm. did that devotionally for me. Some of my best devotional material, I read a chapter two of the Bible or whatever I'm reading. And then I just, a, a systematic theology. Mm. I really love it. It just, it's deep and it's like chewing on a T-bone steak and it helps me work through complex um, situations and complex thoughts about God and just stirs worship in my heart. So, that's good. Amen. Yeah. so are you reading it like a book or are you just, you just, yeah, that's okay. what I do about every, I, I probably would say the last five years or so I've chosen a really thick book to slowly like a systematic theology or just like, the, the Crucifixion by yeah. Fleming Rutledge, um, a book like that that's really dense on one topic that's not practical. It's not about parenting or being a husband. or It's just about God or, or the cross or Christ. Yeah. And I just work through it a page or two a day every single day. And by the end of the year, you know, I usually, I usually get through it. So it could be a systematic theology or um, last year I went through... Um, the works of John Newton, the first big book of, of John Newton. It was just pastoral letters that he wrote. Yeah. And uh, so I worked through that. So I'm just, yeah, now I'm working through Bavink. Yeah, because I asked that because a lot of people probably look at it and like, oh, this is like a dictionary for the Bible, you know? Yeah, it kind of <laughs> The is. way they see that, you know? So I've got two over there. One's called, um, actually I actually have two copies. One is called The Wonderful Works of God, and the other one is, uh, what was the other one called? Oh, I can't remember, but they're both, oh, Unreasonable Faith by Herman Bavink. And that's like the, the shorter version. It's still probably like a thousand pages, um, but that's the shorter version. I read through that like two years ago, Unreasonable Faith. And then the, his Reform Dogmatics, that's, I'm looking over my shoulder here, four volumes, probably, mm. I don't know, 3,000 pages all, all together. Yeah. So I'm just, wor- I'm just working through one. So anyways, I'm reading through the section on Providence and it just um, stirred worship in my soul. So I'm excited to talk about it again today. Of Providence, and we are, are at um, chapter 5, section 5? 4. Section 4. Okay, section 4. Article 4. 
let, let me go ahead and read it. The almighty power, unsearchable wisdom, and infinite goodness of God so far manifest themselves in his providence. First off, let's just say, right away we're starting off with a good God. Mm-hmm. Almighty power, yeah. unsearchable wisdom, mm-hmm. infinite goodness. That's who we're talking That's about. Good. You know what I mean? Sometimes you just say God says, well, well, what God are we talking about? We're talking about the God of the Bible, mm. who's almighty, almighty, powerful, unsearchable wisdom, and infinite goodness. Yeah. Boom. Okay. All of that manifests themselves in his providence. So we see his power, his wisdom, and his goodness through providence. That it extendeth itself even to the first fall and all other sins of angels and men and that not by a bare permission but such as hath joined with it a most wise and powerful bounding and otherwise ordering and governing of them in a manifold dispensation to his own holy ends yet so as the sinfulness thereof proceedeth only from the creature and not from God who being most holy and righteous, neither is nor can be the author or approver of sin. That is a powerful paragraph. I know that is very dense. And if you're just listening to this and not following along, there's no way you followed <laughs> with that, set, that, that, that paragraph. That was, that was dense. But it's really important for us to talk about. And we need to get into it. So basically, what he's talking about right now is God's wisdom, power, and goodness are manifested through the provi- his providence, yeah. and his providence reaches even to the first sin and every sin after it. Mm. Okay? And not by a bare permission. Mm. Okay, so we're talking about how is God... How does God allow sin? How does God order, govern through sinful creatures? Is sin part of God's plan? Well, then who's responsible for it, right? The creature or, or God? Well, that's what we're going to talk about, okay? So let's, let's get into that. Let's, let's, find, let's work our way slowly through it and then find our scriptures, okay? The almighty power, unsearchable wisdom and infinite goodness of God so far manifest themselves in his providence. So we see God's power, goodness, and wisdom through the works of his hand as seen in providence, okay? That providence extendeth itself even to the first fall. So God was governing, God was perfectly involved, God was perfectly in charge, even Adam's, Adam and Eve's sin. And all other sins of angels and men. We got a scripture for that? Yeah, Romans. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how incredible his ways. Inscrutable. Inscrutable, I'm sorry. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Boom. All right. Absolutely. And that not by bare permission. What scripture do we have for that? Not by bare permission. That's uh, Acts. Acts 14, 14, 16. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways. Okay. 
here's what we're getting at. For some people, they don't want God to be sovereign over everything. They want God to, to, to be kind of sovereign. But when anything bad comes into their life, who do they blame? God. But there is a segment of the population when in, in the Christian church, when something bad comes into their life, they blame the devil. Mm. They blame other things, mm. right? And when you ask, when you say something like, when you talk about providence to them, they don't believe a good God is guiding even that difficulty into their life. Mm. They will say, well, he, he's just allowing it. He's just permitting it to happen, <clears throat> right? Mm -hmm. And so they're saying a bare permission is like God is kind of like, he's not actually orchestrating it. He's not actually governing it. Mm. He's just kind of allowing it. <clears throat> and the Westminster Divine says, nope, that's not how God's providence works. But such as hath joined with it a most wise and powerful bounding. That's a strange sentence. What do we have for a text there? Second Kings 19.28 Because you have raged against me and your complacency has come into my ears, I will put my hook in your nose and my bit in your mouth, and I will turn you back on the way by which you came. <laughs> That's deep. Oh, man. God telling people what he's about to do and what they're about to do. <laughs> That's just, here's what's going to happen. Um, you're obstinate, but I'm going to put my hook in you and I'm going to turn you around and get you exactly where I want you to be. Right. <clears throat> so he's, <clears throat> let's keep reading and otherwise ordering and governing of them in a manifold dispensation to his own holy ends. Mm. So right now God's saying he's using the sinfulness of people. So we are beings that can choose. We are not inanimate objects. Mm. We've talked about on this podcast already the difference between first causes and secondary causes, yeah. right? God is the first cause. Our behavior are secondary causes. So let me, let me give you this example. <clears throat> if I throw a baseball through that window, the baseball breaks the window, right? Mm -hmm. who, but who caused it? You caused it. I am the first cause of that situation, right? I threw the baseball. Even though the baseball is the secondary cause, right? The baseball breaks the window itself. I cause it. I'm the primary cause, right? Mm -hmm. That is one way of seeing the world. <clears throat> you have God, the first mover, the primary cause, and then he set everything in motion, and then everything else that's... All of us, all we are are baseballs flying through the world. Mm. Our atoms are just baseballs, our... Everything we've got, all it is is just baseballs. It's just what we do is caused by our DNA. Our DNA caused by our ancestry. Our ancestry caused by evolution, right? It's all just 
the Big Bang started it or God started it. And the, so that's, that's scientific materialism and deism both say primary cause and everything else is just kind of blanket secondary causes. That's not how the Bible speaks about <clears throat> the providence of God, first causes and second causes. God is in, behind, under, through, in all things. He's the primary mover. But we really do have choices. Our choices really do matter. We're not like baseballs. We're not like robots. We can choose good or evil. And yet God is in us choosing those things at the same time. God is in us willing us to choose those things. If, have, if it has to be, putting his hooks in our nose and spinning us around, getting us where he wants us to be. So he is still primarily making it happen, and yet our actions are also causing it. And so we are still, here, here's where we're going, we are still culpable. We are responsible for our actions. We are responsible for our sins. Okay? That's where he's going. So... <clears throat> So God has joined with it a most wise and powerful bounding and otherwise ordering and governing them in a manifold dispensation to his own holy ends. <coughs> we have a scripture for that? Yeah, Isaiah 10, 6, 7, and 12. Against a godless nation I send him, and against the people of my wrath I command him to take the spoil and seize plunder and to tread them down like the mire of the streets. But he does not so intend and his heart does not so think but it is in his heart to destroy and cut off nations, not a few. And then verse 12. When the Lord has finished all his work on Mount Zion and on Jerusalem, he will punish the speech of the arrogant heart of the king of Assyria and the boastful look in his eyes. So God here is at work both through normal means, through, the, through secondary causes, the work of people, and he's also prime. He's also working through the first cause. He's, he's working on the king of Assyria himself. So he's both active. He's both actively causing something to happen, and he's also using secondary causes to get his thing. And the secondary causes are sin, the sinfulness of men. He's using it for his own holy ends. Yet so, as the sinfulness thereof proceedeth only from the creature and not from God. So sin does not come from God, okay? Sin comes from us. So you would, you would have the person that asks, okay, so if God's your creator, wouldn't he, didn't he create sin? That's a great question. And the answer is no, he did not create <laughs> sin. He created the opportunity. He created the creature with a real will, a real freedom of the will, because you can't, love can never be compulsory. Mm -hmm. Love can, you can never, I can never command you to love me, right? There must be a freedom in you to choose to love me or not love me, right? Mm -hmm. Same thing with God. The cre he created creatures, human beings, <clears throat> with the soul and the will to reject him. If they were created unable to reject him, they would never be, they would be robots and they would be not, they would not be human beings made in the image of God. They would not have the, the ability to, to truly love him. Okay. So, because, so the possibility of rejection has to be there. 
okay? So he created the being, humans, with the freedom to choose God or not choose God, mm. right? And therefore, and Adam and Eve chose not God. They chose to disobey God. And that is what brought sin into the world. And God told them that too. If you eat of this, it's, you're going to die and you're going to you're gonna get cursed, right? And they disobeyed it. And so that's what, that's what, it, and also with angels, he talks about with angels here too. Satan did the same thing. You know, Satan rebelled against God, won God's throne and mm. was punished for it. Yeah. So, but, so therefore the, the, the sinfulness therefore proceedeth only from the creature and not from God who being most holy and righteous, neither is nor can be the author or approver of sin. So, do we have a scripture for that? Yeah, James 1. James 1, 13. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires. Then desires when it has conceived birth gives gives birth to sin and sin when it is fully grown brings forth death do not be deceived my beloved brothers every good gift and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change okay so God tempts no one. So this is the this is the, <clears throat> the this is the mystery, right? God orders, governs. Mm. He orders and governs the sins of men without causing them, without tempting them. Mm. That's the difficult mystery we're we're trying to walk. But the point is, we, we have to keep, where the Bible is mysterious, we have to keep the mystery. We mm. can't try to solve a question that the Bible doesn't solve. He mm. s- absolutely says he is providential over everything, the sins of men, the sins that crucified Jesus, and yet he, and he's ordering them, and he's governing them, and he's working in them and working through them, and yet he is not the cause of them, he is not the source of them, he is not tempting mm. any man. <clears throat> So that is what Article 4 is all about. We can move on now to Article 5. It says this, The most wise, righteous, and gracious God doth oftentimes leave, for a season, his own children to manifold temptations and the corruption of their own hearts to chastise them for their former sins or to discover unto them the hidden strength of corruption and deceitfulness of their hearts, that they may be humbled, and to raise them to a more close and constant dependence for their support upon himself, and to make them more watchful against all future occasions of sin and for sundry other just and holy ends. Okay, so right out of that last one, well, why would God allow sin? Why would God govern and order sin to, especially into the lives of his children? Why would he allow, if God's in control of all things and providence, why would he allow us to sin? Well, Westminster Divines 
give us a few answers right here. Okay? Again, the most wise, righteous, and gracious God doth oftentimes leave for a season his own children to manifold temptations and the corruption of their own hearts. Here's why. To chastise them for their former sins. So, Paul says, you reap what you sow. If you sow to the flesh, you'll reap from the flesh. Mm. If you sow to destruct, sow towards destruction, you reap towards destruction. Mm. So, if you rob a bank, you might get shot. You might go to jail, right? That, that, that might happen. Yeah. That's consequences for your sin. If you cheat on your wife, you might ruin your family and ruin your marriage. It might happen. And the Lord does, is not guaranteed he's going to re- sweep, swoop down and rescue you from the consequences of your sins. If you neglect prayer and Bible reading and Christian community, your heart may get hard and you fall away from God. And the Lord, he says here, the Lord, and it shows in Scripture, the Lord pulls away from an obstinate believer or somebody who's repeatedly doing the, you know, consistently in sin and not repenting, the Lord will sometimes pull away from that person to chastise them for their former sins so they can feel the wrath of God or they can feel the coldness of their own heart. Mm. Keep reading. Or to discover unto them the hidden strength of corruption and deceitfulness of their hearts that they may be humbled. So, if a Christian walks in pride, the Lord will often allow that Christian to fall into some sin in order to be humbled, to feel that they're not as hardcore as they thought they are, they're not as righteous as they thought they are, they're not as holy as they thought they were. The Lord allows that sin and even maybe directs and governs that sin in their life in order to produce a humility in them because the sin that, the obvious sin that they've committed is less dangerous than the hidden sin of pride in the heart. Mm-hmm. St. Augustine often talked about God allowing lust in a, in, a person's, in the person's life in order to cure him from a greater sin, which is pride mm-hmm. and coldness to God. <clears throat> Do we have a scripture for that one? Yeah, Second Chronicles. But Hezekiah did not make return according to the benefit done to him, for his heart was proud. Therefore the wrath came upon him in Judea and Jerusalem. But Hezekiah humbled himself for the pride of his heart, both he and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the wrath of the Lord did not come upon him in the days of Hezekiah. Boom. So the proudful being pride in, proud in heart is, Tim Keller talks about it as the carbon dioxide of the soul. Mm. It's silent but deadly. <clears throat> it's, mm. it's a self-satisfaction. Self-satisfa- it's a self-righteousness. It's feeling better than others, more enlightened, more awoke, more uh, moral than other people. And you don't even realize that it's silently killing you removing all the oxygen out of the room and your, your soul is being strangled. Mm-hmm. And so in order to cure you from a proud heart, he will allow you to sin in more obvious ways to humble you. Mm-hmm. Lose your temper. Like there is no, did I lose my temper? 
It's like I hmm. was telling you. Huh? <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, uh, did you ra- did you yell? It's like it's like pretty obvious if that happened. You know yeah. what I mean? Um, did I lust? It's probably pretty obvious. Did I look at something I shouldn't look at? Did I steal something? Did I like? He'll allow you to do more obvious sins in order to provoke a humility mm. in your soul to save you from hell. Mm. <clears throat> And to raise them, so he allows sin in your life, also to raise them to a more close and constant dependence for their support upon himself. So he allows sin in your life to let you realize that you're weak and you need to put your arm over his shoulder and you need him to carry you. Mm. you you've got a bum knee. To, you can't walk this thing alone and you are so... Um, weak in your temptation and weak in your resistance to sin that you are going to cling even more closely to Jesus Mm -hmm. to help you fight the fight of faith. And to make them more watchful against all future occasions of sin. So when we, one reason he allows us to fall into temptation is to learn what happened there. Why'd you do that? Oh, I drank too much. And then I did something bad. Okay. So we got to be careful about how much we drink, Mm. right? We got to set a boundary to that. Oh, I stayed up too late. I fell into that sin. Okay. We got to go to bed on time. Mm. Oh, I slept in too late. Oh, okay. We got to, we, we trace it back and go, okay, what happened? How how did I lose to that temptation? Mm. And we trace it back and we realize, okay, me and my wife got in a fight. I got this, I got that or whatever it was. Mm. And we, and we, we trace it back and then we put guardrails in our life to not let that happen again, mm-hmm. right? <clears throat> to make them more watchful against all future occasions of sin and for sundry other just and holy ends. So he's got other reasons too. Um, do we have a scripture for that one? Should we, should we um, before we get to the scripture though, should we be uh, careful about putting um, so many things in place in our own lives where then God doesn't actually change our heart? Um, or is it a both hand? It's definitely gonna be a both hand. Okay. I don't think we should ever be careful about being watchful. You know what I mean? Like, um, I think even if you don't struggle with temptation towards looking at pornography or something inappropriate, I think you should still have a some kind of filter on. Yeah. Your home, I say that because a lot of people will put like blocks on their phone, blocks on this, blocks on that, a reminder to this person if you went to a site. Um, but is it actually changing your heart? So, That's yeah, what I, was getting I to. get it. I get it. I think it's both. I think it's both in. Yes, all those things will never change your heart. But what it might do is it could work towards changing your heart because you're having to have those conversations with somebody and it's, it's, and it's kind of consistent where it's like, man, <clears throat> I got to, it brings you to the end of yourself. Mm. People are aware of just how deep the problem is, how mm. addicted you are. And so that l- would lead you to hopefully to cry out to God. But is that filters are never going to change your heart. No, right. but also it's just wise too. It's just wise because sometimes um, it might just be, you didn't go looking for pornography. It just popped up on your browser or it just popped up on your phone or it just did something like that. And if you would have had a block, it wouldn't have been an issue at all. Right. Right. And so 
I think it's a both. I think it's a both and. It's a both and type type of situation. <clears throat> so we, did we have a verse, a scripture for that one? Yeah, Mark fourteen. Mark fourteen sixty six through seventy two. All right, I can grab that one. <clears throat> Mark fourteen sixty six through seventy two. And as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came, and seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You also were with the Nazarene Jesus. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway, and the rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him and began again to say to the bystanders, This man is one of them. But again he denied it. And after a little while, while... Uh, after a little while, the bystanders said again to Peter, Certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse on himself and swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. So we see here God ordaining and governing the sin of Peter, and that sin brings about godly grief and repentance. And Peter, who thought he was pretty, pretty awesome, I'll never deny you. I'm the one. I'm the man. He was cutting off ears for Jesus. Yeah, he was very bold, and yet he was very proud in heart and didn't recognize the deceitfulness of his own heart, the seriousness of his own sin, the weakness of his own flesh. And so God allows him to fall <clears throat> in order to teach him a lesson. And though Jesus restores him and strengthens him and gives him a lot of grace and sends him on a mission to strengthen his brothers. Mm. So we see the restoration of, of Peter as well. So God has a plan for sin. God uses the sins of people to accomplish his own works, his own deeds, to sanctify us. He uses our own sin against our flesh for our good. Hmm. He allows us to sin in such a way to make us more humble, more dependent upon him, to seek his grace. Um, of course, he used the sin of the people that crucified Jesus to, to accomplish the work of the cross. Hmm. For us. And so we can be confident that he is working all things for our good to those who are called according to his purpose. Um, and yet men are still culpable. Men are still responsible. Men are still guilty for their own sins. Mm -hmm. Okay. They cannot push that back on God and say, well, you did it. You made me this way. Uh, nope. He's the almighty God. So, all right. That's article four. And Article 5 on providence. God is providential even over the sins of angels and men. And he doesn't just allow it to happen, but he's actually governing it and ordering them. And he's got his own purposes um, to accomplish it. So that's great. Your sins are in the plan of God and you're not screwing up God's plan. So... Humble yourself, repent of your sin, and trust Christ as your Savior. Worship Him as your Lord. Okay? 
All right, guys, hopefully this was helpful to you. We love you. If you've got any questions, go ahead and send me an email, justindean at sacredcitychurch.com. Like, comment, and subscribe. Share this on wherever social media. Um, We'd love to get this podcast out to as many people as possible. God bless you.